Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another Leadership Conversations podcast episode, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Uh, today I'm going to be joined by Dr. Imtiaz Abdul Kader uh, from South Africa. And Imtiaz is a proud father of two, uh, a researcher in the field of strategy execution and leveraging advanced technologies to enable growth. I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with him about that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. He also works as an executive in the banking industry, 
He's had exposure across all domains in the ICT sector from an academic and practitioner perspective. And besides his 24 years experience in ICT across telecoms and banking domains, he also holds a master's in engineering degree and a doctorate. He has led large diverse teams to deliver enterprise programs across multiple domains, including the digital strategy definition and, ed and execution. He also recently published his book, Throw Away the Box, which I can't wait to ask him about, focusing on understanding organizations and how technology can be leveraged to grow an organization and the economy holistically. He continues to research the adoption of bleeding edge technologies such as artificial intelligence, cognitive computing, and quantum computing. Welcome, Imtiaz. Thanks, Jono. Appreciate the great introduction, and I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm honestly uh, just really excited about asking you about leveraging technology because I think it's an area I don't really know that much about and I get the feeling you know a lot about it, and so I think this is going to be a lot of fun. That's just one thing we're going to talk about. But to kick us off, why don't you um, tell the story around different generations, a conference, and where paranormal activity meets technology and science? <laughs> <laughs> sure, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, a long time ago, I used to suffer with uh, seizures. Um, I think at the age of 10 or 11, it started. And, uh, you know, being a generation, uh, my parents being of a different generation, they used to kind of believe in mythology and superstitious beliefs. And uh, they actually thought that I was being possessed when, when I used to have these seizures because it used to occur at night. So, <laughs> so that was quite a funny story because I've been to temples, I've been to churches, I've been through uh, many exorcism events, uh, if I can put it that way. Wow. Only to find out at the age of 24 that I met someone who had similar experience to me in terms of these seizures. So it manifests themselves as sort of nightmares. Uh, so they're called night seizures. Uh, it's kind of an epilepsy-related attack, but they only occur at night. Uh, so I actually went and had a MRI done, and I actually went and saw a neurologist and, and found out that, yeah, truly that I was not possessed, uh, contrary to my parents' belief. And, and that there was a medical reason and a scientific reason for why I was having these seizures. So, wow. you know, the two generations kind of met. Uh, and, and I always love telling these stories because I think it's one of the reasons I got involved into technology, especially researching technology, because I strongly believe that there are reasons out there for things that occur that are not necessarily supernatural in nature. Uh, and yes. one can actually put a scientific reason behind it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a funny story, but it's a true story, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, it's, uh, I can see how that would plant a seed uh, from an early age around technology because it had such a large impact uh, on, on your life. Now, I'd love to hear, I guess, a bit more of your story from your past. Tell us the story of how you became the leader you are today. And I'm particularly interested to hear any specific moments that happened along the way that you look back and think, yeah, you know what, that really shaped me becoming the leader that I am today. Definitely, John. You know, being a leader takes me back quite a few years, almost 21, 22 years when I first had my leadership opportunity, I was the ripe age of 21 years and I worked for a telecommunications company. So my then manager actually took a month and a half sabbatical. But instead of appointing somebody as his stand-in uh, that was much more senior, uh, he looked at the most junior person and then appointed uh, me uh, to stand in for him, which was quite surprising. And uh, that's when my leadership journey actually took off. Uh, the one thing I've learned about that lesson is, you know, experience sometimes that not necessarily makes the best leaders, uh, but it does, however, makes for best doers, you know. Uh, and I always reference that point whenever I do or I'm caught up with a similar situation. I must say I learned a lot 
uh, took a lot of bruises in that six weeks uh, because, as you know, being a junior technology person, uh, one, uh, not necessarily having the experience from a technology environment in telecoms as the other experienced guys. But I think from a leadership perspective, he probably saw something in me that I didn't see myself. So I think uh, that's something that I've also learned across that is sometimes people uh, do not necessarily see their capabilities unless they put in a position that affords them the opportunity to act out that capability. Uh, beyond that, I think other things that I've learned uh, when I pursued a leadership career was when I first started looking at how does one become a generalist rather than a specialist? Because generally in a corporate world, generalists are seen more as leadership types. Specialists are seen more as the people who get things done, the people that you turn to who you want something to achieve. But if you want to create vision, you want to create motivation, uh, you want to create delivery, uh, those are the types of things that you kind of turn towards leaders. So around about 10 to 15 years, a leader once told me that, you know, in order to become a generalist, you've got to pursue multiple avenues, multiple domains. And most of those domains are kind of soft skill related rather than hard skill related. And I embarked on what they would call executive coaching for about eight weeks. And the interesting thing was that when I elected a coach, the coach was a psychologist. The coach was not a leadership coach in the true sense as we would uh, normally see it now. And yeah. uh, the psychologist took me through a different journey. And the first journey they took me through was creating an understanding of who Imtiaz was as a person. You know. And that I found very interesting because I think until you truly understand yourself, can you actually lead other people? And, and that's one of the things uh, that that coach asked me. And I was like, you know, I always thought of leadership as being independent of oneself. But in that coaching lesson, I actually learned that it's not, you know. Imtiaz I, I is the one that. that's leading yeah, I mean, Imtiaz is the one that's leading the team. So therefore, the biases that Imtiaz has will definitely come to the forefront of that yeah, leadership right. style. Yeah. So, I mean, out of that coaching, I, I learned a lot. And, and now when I actually offer these sort of executive coaching to my own employees to build their mm. careers, I actually suggest a similar sort of coaching before we even embark on what we would call executive learning, executive coaching, on-the-job training in terms of leading in a corporate space. Because I think and I strongly believe that knowing oneself before leading others is truly a profound thing when it comes to leadership. And if you understand where your pitfalls are, your shortfalls are, your blind spots are, you know, setting up teams does not necessarily mean that you need to know it all or be the strongest in everything. It's about understanding where your strengths are and then setting up a team in such a way that you can leverage other people's strengths to complement yourself um, and lead together as a team rather than lead together as individuals. And I found leading together as teams works very well. I mean, even the, all the agile principles that we kind of chase these days from a corporate world speaks about self-organizing teams, speak about leadership being more a servant kind of yeah. leader rather than uh, autocratic or bureaucratic type leaders. Also speaks about not necessarily bringing about bureaucracy and politics uh, within delivery teams. You know, the delivery teams are hindered by these business politics. And that's something that we have to understand as well. But, uh, you know, my last point that I will kind of bring about is recently I've been afforded the opportunity to act as a CIO over the last 12 months. Yeah. And uh, joining the C suite. Uh, as a leader was very, very interesting because the inverse is true. And I had to play a lot of business political games uh, to ensure 
the team's success rather than my success. Because ultimately, if the team fails, I fail. If the team is successful, I am successful. But it comes down to the games we play at the sea level in terms of influencing, getting buy-in, having the networking, having the socialization. But those are kind of, you know, soft skills. And I was so glad that I was able to reference uh, my executive coaching, which I took with a psychologist, funny enough. So I think that truly, truly did help me. So if there's anything that I would <laughs> like to impart out there, if you're embarking on becoming a leader, learn to know yourself first. I think that's, uh, I think that's fantastic advice because if you, if you think about the implication, which is why it rings so true for me, when I hear people struggling with their leader, it's often because their leader has big blind spots. And what are those blind spots? They're always around self-awareness. They're always a, uh, they, they just don't see that they don't follow through or they just don't see that they have unrealistic expectations or that they rush decisions. And, and the best leaders, you're right, to have that self-awareness and, the, and then the humility to actually go, oh, sorry. You know, it makes it easier to do that, I think, because you know yourself better. So I, I think that's great advice. Right. Um, so let's jump in to talk about technology because I have to admit, I've, I'm pretty excited to, to chat about this. Um, let me put it this <laughs> Let me get you to put it this way. Maybe I'm saying that I'm a five-year-old when it comes to technology, but I love the idea of explain it like I'm, like like I'm a five-year-old, like explain it like you would to a five-year-old. Give me the five, <laughs> when it comes to leveraging technology and the world that you really research and, and live in, which, um, which I'm, I'm really intrigued by, explain it to me and for those out there maybe like me uh, aren't as uh, technologically uh, literate maybe as, uh, as others, explain it like I'm five as to what it is um, you mean when you talk about leveraging technology and a particular niche and space that you're most passionate about yeah no definitely you know john I was speaking about being five year old i'm probably a six year old uh when it comes to technology and, and the reason being is the amount of advancements that occur within the technological space and the pace at which those advancements occur. You know, in my book, uh, hashtag throw away the box, I speak about the popcorn era. You know, when you put uh, a bag of popcorn in the microwave, uh, initially you, you wait 30 seconds, nothing is happening. Then it's the 45 second mark and you get this little pop and you know that something's gonna happen. And then eventually when you reach the minute, minute and half mark, that popcorn is popping in that microwave like nobody's business. And that's the era we are in at this point in time with technological advancements. There's a pop happening everywhere, every second. Uh, hence, I say, you know, you may be five years old, but I'm six years old. And the only reason I'm six years old is because I do a little bit of research uh, on the new technologies that come out. So, you know, and, and it brings me back to another funny story where uh, on LinkedIn, funny enough, I, I heard someone say that they applied for a job. And uh, the funny thing is the person said, but hang on, you don't have five years experience in this technology. Um, and the guy responded, but I invented this technology and the technology itself is only two years old. So I don't know where you're going to find <laughs> five years experience <laughs> from someone uh, using this technology. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so it's interesting the perspectives that we have about, uh, you know, technology and, and, and the knowledge that we have. But uh, <laughs> you know, right. coming back to leveraging technology, yeah. you know, the old MBAs, even some of the schooling that I did in university, they always taught us that uh, technology is an enabler, one, uh, to enable strategy. So therefore, business strategy is always the leader. Technology yeah. strategy is always the follower. Mm. Uh, I am glad I unlearned that, to be honest. <laughs> I, I am extremely glad that I've unlearned that because I speak about technology as not an enabler, but a pursuant for growth opportunities, uh, other revenue generation items. Uh, you know, when the internet existed, we had a proliferation of what we would call the dot-com era. 
out of that mm. dot com era, we've got the likes of Google's, Yahoo, Amazon's, etc. And yes. if internet did not exist, the Googles would not exist, the Alphabets will not exist, you know, the Yahoos would not exist. So I always tell people that you got to speak about technology as something that would enable, yes, but enables growth, enables future avenues of revenue generation. And, you know, in my book, I asked the question right at the end, what is your beginning? What is the technology that you're going to leverage to create your beginning? And this is where I love uh, the concept of the quantum era, the Q era, moving away from the digital era. Because quantum computing is probably the next best thing when it comes to advancements in technology. Uh, if one can leverage at an early onset the abilities and capabilities of quantum computing, you know, th those are probably where the next billionaires are going to be made, to be honest. Uh, I mean, everybody speaks about crypto as well uh, and the blockchain and how the negatives associated to it. But it created billionaires overnight. Mm. You know? So, I mean, it, it took a company like Binance two years to generate a billion dollar revenue. I mean, where, where would you have seen that in, in uh, 20 years ago? You have never said, ah, oh, a company is going to be a billion dollar company. I mean, we speak about unicorns, decacorns, uh, you know, and, and how fast these companies pop up. But that's because of them being able to see the opportunities that that specific technology gives a rise to, you know. And I think if people can kind of model their business models around seeing that um, as an element within their environment as a growth opportunity and not a cost opportunity. I think yeah. that's where corporates generally will grow. Uh, I did research on a company called Ping An. Uh, they, I think now about 35 years old, if I stand to be corrected. Uh, they started off with about 30 employees and they're now sitting with almost a million plus employees. Uh, with a billion dollar plus turnover. And it took them only 30 years to become the second largest insurance company in the world. Uh, you know, close, closer to home, uh, we've got Capitec Bank. Uh, they also about a 35, 36 year old company. It took them that long time to be the leading retail bank in South Africa, beating banks that have been around for over 150 years. Right. You've got to ask yourself the question, what is it that these companies are doing versus this monolithic monster that have existed for over 150, over 100 years or pre-internet age? Uh, you know, what, what is the difference and, and what it comes down to? And, and the CEO, CTO of Ping An says it nicely, is that they started investing in technology to look for avenues of growth. And, and that was a key difference in terms of how they saw technology. They've invested in AIs. They created bots. They created uh, spin-offs uh, by leveraging the AI technology. They created spin-off companies leveraging the blockchain technology. And mm. these were additional revenues of growth that, that other insurance companies did not necessarily invest in. Yeah. So, for me, I don't say there's a cookie-cutter model or, you know, you can copy a Ping An, you can copy a Google, you can copy uh, an Amazon and say, ah, but your company is definitely going to grow if you copy them. Uh, no, it's not about copying. I think it's about applying the principles associated to these things. Uh, that's quite key. But making it fit for purpose for your organization. Uh, uh, you know, another example before I end off the answering to this question is Jack Ma. You know, Jack Ma said that even before he created Alibaba, and I paraphrase, he needed to understand the system that Alibaba is going to operate in. Yeah. You know, and when he speaks about the system, he also spoke about the social system, which is the environment within the Chinese markets and how to leverage the population within that market 
to grow a billion dollar company like Alibaba. And I mean, Alibaba now has multiple other companies, Alipay, Alibaba. They invest in so many other domains. And I mean, they've just grown from strength to strength. So I mm. think, you know, the ecosystem play, understanding uh, your environment and the fit for purpose, understanding which technology is going to be your next growth opportunity uh, is definitely quite key if you want to pursue growth and leverage technology. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I think the first question that comes to mind uh, for me is how, say there's a leader listening, um, and this is how I'm thinking as well, but say there's someone out there and they're going, that's so true, that rings so true. We, we have to think about technology enabling growth, that if we're going to find blue oceans, you know, in that idea of blue oceans versus red oceans, so many yeah. technology is such a great way to find um, blue oceans. Uh, so for you, how do you think like that? Like, what would you say to a leader who says to you, how, you're like, where do I start? How do I think about leveraging technology for growth? What does that look like? So I think it comes down, uh, to the mindset, uh, and probably put it like this, you know, there needs to be a mindset challenge to all our leaders, uh, especially if they're looking at growing organizations. Because, and uh, Peter Diamandis uh, puts this very nicely, so I won't take credit for it. He speaks <laughs> about four mindsets, you know, uh, the abundance mindset in terms of looking at how you can create abundance uh, rather than looking at low volumes. Um, mm. He also speaks about the moonshot mindset uh, in kind of picking something that's going to actually, you know, be the next hurdle that takes you ahead of all your competitors out there. He speaks about the longevity mindset. And if I can paraphrase it in the, in the words for corporate, is that you've got to speak about how you can sustain your organization for the future as well, uh, coming mm. down to longevity. And then, uh, you know, they speak about the exponential mindset. And this mm. is where I find that technology piece kind of plays a key pivotal role. Mm. Because in order for you to enable something that's going to give you exponential growth, you've got to think about scale, you know? Yeah. And, mm. and scale is something that can really be achieved by leveraging the technologies that's going to give you that capability. The old technologies mm. will not give you the scale that you're looking for. Uh, I mean, you can't take a mainframe and say, I'm going to get scale because chances are you're going to need buildings and buildings of mainframes if you want to achieve <laughs> the scale that you're looking for, you know. So. Yeah. Those are the types of things that I think, you know, leaders need to turn to is probably change the way they think about these things. Uh, and maybe looking at what Peter, Peter Diamandis calls the, you know, the mindset challenge and speaking about uh, those four different mindsets, I, I think is where I would tell leaders to start first. Uh, the yes. second thing, I think, you know, coming down to an individual perspective and a corporate perspective, one needs to know themselves before they truly can become a leader. But I think the same mm. thing applies for organizations. One needs to understand the organizations, uh, the ecosystem they play in, the external influence, the internal influence in the terms of culture, skills that they have, the leaders they have. Uh, if you truly understand the organization itself, then you can understand how to advance that organization. Otherwise, you're just hitting and missing at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th that's so true. Um, I'd like to ask you a question as you reflect on your leadership over, over many years, um, your ex personal experience leading in, um, in, in various spaces. What is a, uh, a story that comes to mind that you might think of as a favorite failure? <laughs> and I say that because yeah. um, I think so many leaders struggle with, with failure um, and it might be a story where you've, you know, something that you had in the past where you dropped the ball but, uh, but you had a be really key learning or you tried something and mm. you were at the forefront of doing something and it didn't work but it was actually because of that that you learned X, Y or Z or, or uh, you know, grew you as a person. Yeah, so, so what comes to mind? Yeah, Jonah, that's a tough one uh, that you're throwing my way. Uh, <laughs> not many people <laughs> like to speak about uh, failures. 
But, uh, you know, if I had to reflect, uh, I think one of the biggest failures that I experience uh, currently is, you know, working in a large corporates, working in transformational type environments where we're looking at mm. how do we truly transform an organization, not just from a technology perspective, but a process, people, uh, you know, operating models, all those things, you know. I think it's a holistic endeavor that one needs to approach when it comes to transformation. But coming back to the question that you asked me around, you know, what, what is probably a failure and how I, lessons I've learned is that sometimes you've got to take a different approach towards how you influence individuals. You've got to also mm -hmm. let the leaders, the CEOs also learn from their mistakes. Uh, because I think if you push too hard, uh, then some leaders push back just as hard or even harder. So what you're yeah. trying to achieve will never be achieved because there's that barrier that gets created that you will not break. So sometimes uh, the lessons that I've learned is allow the time and allow that effort for them to make that mistake so mm. that they always reference your initial engagement, not your 10,000 engagements to achieve the same thing, but that one engagement where you said, hang on, Mr. CEO, have you tried this? Yeah. And then they yeah. will actually come to you after failing. You know? And that's something that I've learned over my leadership journey is do not engage 10,000 times on one thing when there's a barrier in the front of you. you know, let the yeah, other person... Great. Let the other person learn from their own failures and grow from their own failures so that they can reference the one time that they've engaged positively with you on something and return back to you and see you as a trusted leader and a trusted advisor, especially in the technology space. You know, it's very rare that people see internal employees as trusted advisors. We always turn to the consultants, the big four, the McKinsey's, the PwC's, the Deloitte's, you know. Because they create so much of hype around certain things. Like, uh, you know, I always use digital as an example. And you, you'll find this funny, Jono, is that, <laughs> you know, when digital came about, and especially when COVID hit, and this is probably the one time I'll reference COVID, every <laughs> single consulting company out there became an expert on how to implement digital in a workplace. Mm. And I'm like, but hang on, COVID just happened last week. How are you expert, expert all of a sudden? So, you know, it's like we create experts overnight and then we create these hypes and, hey, I'm going to Deloitte. I'm going to pay them a couple of million rand there. But I mean, yeah. I have nothing against the consulting companies. I just believe that sometimes, you know, logic and common sense gets thrown out the door uh, when we want to achieve something. So, yeah, yeah that's Especially a funny when you've story. Got yeah, in when you've got people yes. in house that can potentially step mm -hmm. up and use it as an opportunity to break new ground for them and for the company to take you to the next level. Correct. You know, the one thing I've heard uh, in one of the company conferences uh, that uh, I was fortunate enough to attend, and we had a group HR director there, and he yeah. says, uh, you know, he stood up and he, I think he was six months in the company and he says, why do we hire smart people just to turn them down? <laughs> you know, and that stood with me. Ah, that's, that is so profound. I mean, why do we hire smart people as companies and say, oh, I'm hiring you, I'm paying you the salary because you've got all these capabilities, but just to turn them down. Yeah, that's say, right. <laughs> You know, let's hire somebody to tell us what to do, <laughs> do, or we give them instructions. We don't afford them the opportunity to deliver within their teams. So, yeah, that's something I found pretty profound. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I, I think I think that happens a lot. Um, when it comes to technology, what are the biggest uh, what are the biggest mistakes you've seen in terms of leaders and their mindset that that leaders make when they're thinking about technology? So, you know, if you're, if you're a technology person, um, you, you kind of rush sometimes uh, into new stuff because they're shining, they're exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily give it the foresight that you need and, and the time to actually truly understand what it is you're trying to bring 
uh, into an existing technology stack and whether or not it will work or not work. So I think that rushing aspect is definitely something that uh, us as technology people, we need to work at. But I think it, as a business person, uh, you know, we, we have an inverse uh, polarity in terms of that. We want to avoid um, bringing in new technologies because it changes not just the technology, it changes how the process works, how we've done things before. You know, the old mm. adage about, you know, this is not how we do things. This is not how we've done it before. Uh, <laughs> and we have to break that model because if, if we stick to that model and, and constantly bastardize new things that we want to bring into the organization so that they fit into an existing way of work, uh, we're going to create failure points, you know. Uh, yes. And we add two things. We create proliferation uh, in terms of processes. We create proliferation in terms of skills. Uh, proliferation in terms of technology stacks. Uh, there's just this complex world that we create, but then the world becomes difficult. You know, mm. it's no longer complex. It's no longer something that we understand. Now it becomes difficult. It's something that we need to learn how to understand and navigate. You know, so yes, yes, so true. So from a technology perspective, definitely the rushing aspect because we love shiny new toys. <laughs> I mean, ask any technology yeah. guy out there and he's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go and investigate, let's experiment, let's innovate. But um, on the other hand, you know, the business side, we hesitant because it's not the way we've done things. It's not the way we do things. Uh, how much is this going to cost me? You know, so uh, I don't know whether we'll find that balance between the two. But I, I think, you know, technology companies maybe have a better footing there uh, yes. because they kind of... Uh, have uh, players in both sides of the story so they are able to balance it i mean some of the ceos of all these companies are actually technology and engineer people's first so they yeah. kind of learned the business ways but they've always been an engineer so they kind of balance it nicely i mean if you look at the top 500 uh, snp companies that exist today uh, the bulk of the contributors to that revenue is actually technology companies. If I stand to be corrected, the last number was about 42% of uh, wow. companies that were in the top 500 were actually technology companies. But I do think they are going to take over. Uh, I think technology is something that if you don't start looking into in terms of investing, thinking mm. of it as uh, an enabler for growth, uh, not as a cost enabler, then uh, I think you'll be missing the boat somewhere. And um, I'm interested in quantum computing. That was great what you said earlier about how there's so much potential in quantum computing. Can you unpack what quantum computing is and where you see the most, why you see that as such a big area of potential? Yes, definitely. You know, uh, my seven-year-old uh, once asked me when he saw me, I was working with IBM Research in terms of putting together use cases for quantum computing for banking uh, as mm. more innovation and experimentation than anything else. Uh, because I don't think uh, there's truly useful use cases that exist out there currently because of the limitations associated to the capacity of quantum computing that we have currently in the world, right? Uh, I mean, you need to store it at sub-zero and all those things. So it's not truly useful at this point in time. But, uh, you know, when he asked me the question, Dad, what are you working on? I said, imagine you had a question asked of you and you only had a choice of a yes and a no. And then after a year or two, I come back to you and I say, son, you know what, now I'm going to give you more options. It could be a yes, it could be a no, and it could be any other position in between. And he says, so what are the other positions in between? I said, well, there could be a maybe, you know. Uh, there could be a possibility or a probability, you know. And these are the things uh, that... Uh, he, he understood. So it's like, okay, so when I ask you for a sweet and you tell me maybe I can have one after lunch, is that what you're referring to? <laughs> <laughs> I said, That's exactly. Better. It's not a yes, it's not a no, it's a maybe. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we're moving from a two-state world, uh, you know, binary language in computing 
to what they call a five-state world, I mean, quantum uh, computing. And, and there's so many possibilities. I mean, if you take uh, two to the power zero and you exponentially move up, uh, you know, there's, there's, and then you take a, a, a five-state compared to a binary state and you exponentially add to that. I mean, you'll realize that uh, the amount of transactional power that uh, quantum computing gives you is truly that, and it's exponential. You know? Wow. What would take uh, normal computers in, in a lab many, many years to achieve would probably take a quantum computer a few days to achieve. Uh, and there was an experiment done around understanding cancer at a cellular level uh, when I attended a conference about, I think, three years ago when we were doing face-to-face -face conference. Uh, and funny enough, IBM was there, and they were mm. creating a partnership with one of the universities in South Africa to advance quantum computing uh, research. Wow. And... Uh, they actually showed the model of how they were able to create a better understanding of cancer at a cellular level. Uh, and the lady did mention that this will probably not have been possible in her li lifetime if it was not for the transactional power that quantum computing allowed them to have. Wow. So that for me is quite exciting, is that you can apply that transactional power to pretty much any domain. Um, and I think... <laughs> There's also a negative side to it, to be honest, Jono, is that mm. as much as there's a positivity associated to it, like with AI, I mean, when we speak about cybersecurity, the threats that come up today with regards to cybersecurity, we've got hackers that are leveraging AI, you know, to hack mm. into environments. And uh, so there's always this negative aspect that one has to be concerned about is that what negative aspects will quantum computing create out there? You know, hackers surely will have access to the same technologies as the, you know, the proponents of uh, using it in a positive manner. And, uh, you know, I think it was a Nobel Prize winner. Uh, I forget the name now, but uh, when they invented uh, the battery and, uh, you know, there was a question asked, but batteries can also be used to create bombs. And he says, as a scientist, I did not create the battery because I wanted to create bombs. He said, as a society, yeah. we leveraged what I've created to create bombs. So, you know, it, it always comes down to the balance of good and bad, also from a technology perspective. But uh, I always like to focus on the positive aspects. So as much as there's negative aspects, there's always definitely some positive aspects. And I think if we can leverage quantum computing in the future and put it on desktops, laptops, I think the wow. world uh, just becomes a different space altogether in terms of what we can achieve socially uh, and the stuff that we can do to alleviate lots of things from a humanity perspective. Yeah, I, I think that was a fantastic explanation. I'm going to go and uh, YouTube quantum computing, I uh, think, in the near future and, and go and uh, read up on it because that's it's just struck me that how you compared the binary to the multiple options, that's mind-blowing. When you think of what we're doing with binary, when you think of what just computing with the uh, binary, you know, how we've, we're able to create incredible things that do, uh, it's just mind-blowing that there's another level um with quantum computing thank you for for unpacking that i think that was i think that will really blow a lot of people's minds um and i think there'll be a lot of leaders uh youtubing quantum computing <laughs> a lot oh, of leaders definitely glad, to glad. That. so yeah. um it's good glad to have shared yeah no it's been it's been great to to chat i like i said i i um didn't come into the conversation knowing that much around uh, some of the spaces that you're most passionate about. And I've, I just feel like I've uh, been able to learn quite a lot in, in a short time. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. As we as we sort of finish up this episode, is there anything you wanted to, to add or, or leave with uh, listeners, MTS? Yeah, I think now that we're speaking about, uh, you know, leadership, uh, irrespective of whether it's technology or non-technology, I think, you know, I always like to say that uh, 
if you cannot lead yourself, you can't lead others. So I think one of the first things uh, you've got to be able to achieve is, is can you lead yourself? And if you can lead yourself, then you don't have to worry about leading others. They will just follow, um, mm. you know, <laughs> and uh, that's a motto that I truly believe that I would like to share with the, the listeners. Uh, and hopefully, you know, it goes a long way, uh, especially some of the knowledge that I've shared uh, from some of the research that I've done as well. Yeah, I think what's really profound about that is that you're talking about things like quantum computing that are so, uh, for me anyway, so futuristic, even though they're happening now. But at the same time, you're talking about lead, leading yourself. If you can lead yourself really well, then people will follow, which I feel like is such a, a forever concept, you know, like since the beginning of yeah. time. And I love that. It's such a, uh, you know, it's such a juxtaposition. But it's so true if you can lead yourself and I think um, if you can understand yourself better, then I do. I really do believe that can be one of the keys to growing as a leader and to becoming the sort of leader when you really know yourself better, then you're walking in that self-awareness, which often comes with humility. I think people love to follow leaders like that. So I think, I think you're 100% right, Intiaz. Well said. Uh, well, thank you again for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you to all our listeners uh, for tuning in and listening to another episode of Leadership Conversations podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe and follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. That will keep you up to date. I've got a bunch of exciting guests uh, planned for the next few weeks and months. So make sure you subscribe to stay in the loop. And also, if you're interested in, in any, learning anything more about leadership, in connecting with me at Clarity, you can go to consultclarity.org. And uh, Imtiaz, I'll let you have uh, the last word because you did mention your book. Say there's someone out there listening and they go, that sounds amazing. I want to get, um, uh, I would love to get a hold of, of that book. Where can people access your book? Is it available online? Yes, definitely. It's available on demand uh, through Amazon. It's also available locally in South Africa through uh, on demand through Take-A-Lot, which is uh, a similar kind of concept to Amazon. Uh, and if you're interested in the digital version, you can also get it from uh, Smashwords uh, as well as Amazon. So the digital version is available as well. So definitely uh, you'll notice that... Uh, in the book there at the end, uh, I try to create a model uh, that teaches uh, executives how to learn the organization and how to understand the organization before they actually pursue leveraging technologies. Um, Ooh, so maybe it's awesome. something that they will be interested in. Yeah. And what's the title of the book for people to search again? It's hashtag throw away the box. Hashtag throw away the box. Awesome. Well, make yeah. sure you support Imtiaz. Uh, look up hashtag throw away the box and, uh, and get yourself a copy. It sounds like a, a wonderful read. And thank you again to Imtiaz uh, for being such a great guest. And we'll catch you all next time for the next episode of Leadership Conversations. Thanks for listening. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. 
We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.